Yo, yo, what it is. Welcome to yet another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. Two longtime friends get together, talk about some albums that we are enjoying. I'm joined, as always, by the fearless dude number one. Why, why does this get longer and longer? <laughs> <laughs> You're accruing a lot of titles over the years, buddy. Yo, dude. How's it going? I'm here. Good. How are you, man? Good, good. We've got a nice we got a nice batch today. Dude, we got a tasty a tasty collection of album selections here. If y'all listening are into conflict, I don't think you're gonna get much today. So I think Andy and I have a, a peace accord in place this week with these picks. <laughs> yeah, usually it's up in the air whether or not we both agree on these albums, but today I think we got four records that are right in both of our wheelhouses. It's that little Venn diagram where Andy and the dude meet. And out <laughs> there's nothing more. <laughs> there's nothing more compelling in podcasts than hearing about Venn diagrams. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I got a great bar chart to represent these albums coming up later. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to talk about the new Tomahawk album, Tonic Immobility, an album by a band I hadn't heard of, Shame. And the album is Drunk Tank Pink. What else we got, Andy? Uh, I got a couple old dog selections from 1976. Bob Dylan's classic Desire. Talking about that. And from the mid-2000s, one of my favorite bands. I know the dudes has a place for them in his heart as well. Mastodon and their record, Blood Mountain. Should be fun. Should be exciting. Excellent! Could even say it would be excellent. <laughs> Without any further ado, let's uh, let's hop in there, buddy. All right, folks, we're gonna start off with Tomahawk. The album is Tonic Immobility. Let's check out a little bit of Business Casual. In the voodoo dome of the calories, white blood delivery to a wet Okay, that was Business Casual from the new Tomahawk album, Tonic Immobility. I liked it, and we're done. <laughs> Great review, buddy. Very <laughs> uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Tomahawk's American Rock Super Group. I don't know if I like that the super term. Group thing. Yeah. I mean, there's guys from different bands, right? Mike Patton. This was formed in 99, Mike Patton from Faith No More, Mr. Bungle. Yep. So this is their fifth album, pandemic album. Although I did read that some of this had already been recorded like years ago and they were waiting for Mike to not be busy with Mr. Bungle and himself and Faith No More and all this other stuff. But man, Mike Patton's been on a roll, on a tear for me. You're a much bigger fan of his traditionally than I am, but he's been doing it for me and I owe it all to you. You're the one that uh, brought Tomahawk <laughs> to me back in whatever, 2006 or seven or something like that, their first album. Yeah. So uh, why don't you talk about this? What do you think? Um, the album overall, I 
I think it's a good a good representation of the band if you hadn't heard them before. This is a good place to start. It's a pretty solid record as they go. Some of their earlier or their previous records are a little bit more experimental, which I found interesting. You like and I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that their record, I think it was two before this, Anonymous with all like the uh, Native American type songs? The one that you had me listen to originally was the one like the the tan the brown cover with the tomahawk on it. That's her first one, though, right? That's the subtitled one from way back. Yeah, yeah. I've not heard anything between that and this, honestly. Okay, all right, all right, cool. Well, this is more in the vein of the the first two records, I would say. Make gas, their second one. I was actually looking up that record to talk about on the show, perhaps as an album, an old dog selection. And I just happened to come across Tonic Immobility had just come out that same weekend. So I was like, kiss oh. that we talk about this record here. I think because the number of times I've played that Bungle album, the Easter Bunny demos, uh, yeah. Google decided to tell me the day that the <laughs> Tomahawk like, album came out. This guy likes Mike Patton a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. He's been on a good tear lately. He's put out some a lot of projects all at once. So. Well, and... The vocal, the vocal styles that are coming out of his mouth are more the kind of what he does that I that I gravitate toward the rockier side of the delivery. Not that that's the case on every song here. He sounds great overall. Uh, I kept coming back to it, even though I kind of like dismissed. Oh, there's got to be something else, and I just kept coming back to it. Uh, yeah. Business casual is the song that kept me coming back. I like the mix of his falsetto, the rapish delivery, catchy chorus, and then the indictment of something he probably has never had to do, sit in a chair all day and work a, a right. computer job kind of thing, <laughs> where we're wearing our seersucker suits and have high cholesterol and popping Adderall to get through our boring days working in offices. It's yeah. not quite that way for me, but I like the picture he was painting. It's funny and cool. <laughs> yeah, that's like a prototypical patent wit and humor on that track there. I thought that was probably one of the best songs on the record. Uh, there were moments on here that didn't work for me as well, which is just like part of the Tomahawk thing. Like They try a lot of different ideas. Not all of them always are home runs, but... I think as an overall vibe and overall sound, like they're such talented musicians, it's pretty hard for them to put out a bad record. So yeah, I Agreed. enjoyed the majority of, of this record as well. They get into some cool like technical math rock little spurts here and there, but for the most part, it's pretty straight ahead rock. They've always had like kind of like a Southern vibe to their sound, I guess. You don't hear it as much in this record, but there's moments where they kind of like get a little twang going on, which I think is interesting to hear in their sound yeah the, in, you know, they shift sounds they shift gears so frequently and so easily i guess especially mike's voice is like all over the place on this record yeah but it felt like there were kind of there were some things i noticed that were drawn between them like i heard the term wet brain a few times throughout different songs okay which i guess is some illness you can get from drinking way too much something Happens to your brain, apparently. Yeah. He talks about whiskey a lot on this record. I thought it was interesting. Yes. Which I had yes. not typical for him to talk about. Even, you know. even uses the term whiskey dick in business casual, which I've never heard in a song before. So <laughs> nice job, 
Mike. Yeah. Um, starts off with sh, S-H-H-H. Great start. Great opening track to me. There's some groove metal stuff here, like in Valentine Shine. Predators and Scavengers was kind of like, I think it was about climate change. I don't know, man. There's a lot of stuff. And sometimes you could like make a meaning out of it because it's nonsense and you're not sure. <laughs> yeah. His lyrics the, can be yeah. very poignant at times and just totally nonsensical at other times, it seems. So, yeah. it's, it's Yeah, kind of a beat poetry sort of, you know, open yeah. mic night sort of situation at times. Right. I didn't really like Eureka, the instrumental. I mean, it was okay. I would have liked to have seen it like as a bonus track after the album finished. Yeah, I didn't care for that either. It's in a really weird spot. It's track 9 yeah. out of 12. And it just yes. like, kind of like brings things down to a crawl at the end of the record. Yes. It's just strange. Oh, yeah. And, f- and, and the song Fatback, I heard the term Fatback used in another couple of songs, I think, too. So there were like, the, yeah. I think those were the connectors between some of these so was this album like was it written all at the same time or is this lyrically maybe um i from what i read and this was wikipedia so any anybody could put this but that the music a lot of the music had been written recorded and ready to go for like years okay like already all mike Patton had to do was write lyrics and sing on top of it but i don't know if that's true but it maybe because there is something very, to me, cohesive about like the, the lyrics and the songs all have some similarities lyrically, but not so much musically. I agree. Musically, it sounds like the 2000s, I would say, like the early 2000s. And there's like moments where he's, talk, where he's talking about pandemic sounding things. Yes. So I kind of yes. thought maybe he written it recently, the lyrics at least. Um, well, Doomsday Fatigue are definitely pandemic song and, and in my mind seems like it right yeah yeah what do you think of howley it had like this bossa nova feel to it you know yeah i thought that was really cool actually (laughs) yeah it was it was a cool switcheroo because then it got very yeah Yeah. so i think that's the story here you'll hear some familiar different types of sounds very bass a lot of a lot of these songs are very groove oriented a lot of bass and drum like the bass in particular the bass lines really drove these songs yeah. and and then the the nonsense on top of it i i really have enjoyed it and i'm glad that i'm starting to have a relationship with mike patton uh, it's becoming more meaningful by the day <laughs> glad to hear you two are happy together yeah, I think it's. I think you definitely, if you're a fan, you would appreciate this record, dude. You should listen mm-hmm. to McGass. McGass, I think is how you say it. Their second album. Okay. I think it's like almost a better version of this record. Um, Will do. But yeah, so that's uh, Tomahawk, Tonic Immobility. Oh yeah. Good pick, buddy. It's it's all because of you. All right. <laughs> what did you bring to the table today? All right. Uh, so my selection. It's a very Andy record. Uh, from the artist Shame. This is their second studio album. Came back, came out back in the beginning of 2021. Uh, it's entitled Drunk Tank Pink. Love the album name. Thought that was really interesting. If you ever, uh, you're familiar with that, that shade of pink that they use to, uh, paint the walls in a, in a drunk tank, buddy, to keep people kind of docile? I am not. I had no idea what that meant. That's a thing, really? Apparently, yeah. It's like a really, <laughs> you know, warm, soothing color. It's supposed to keep people calm. 
<laughs> and a drunk yeah. tank being uh, where the police put all of the drunk people. Yeah. In, at the end of the in, night. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was saying St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras sort of situation probably more often than... I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, these drunk, guys are you know. British, so it's probably like every day over in London. Oh, I soccer hooliganism, sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is their second studio album. They are a six piece from South London. We are going to play a cut towards the beginning of the record. This is a bit of March Day. Alright, a little bit of March Day from Shame on their album Drunk Tank Pink. Talking about, I think that song is mostly about like depression, just not really wanting to engage with the world, just want to stay in bed where things are nice and safe and warm. Can relate to that feeling. A lot of that these days, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We kept on that for the last year. Yes, this record, really, really solid release. I enjoyed their debut record, came out a few years back. Songs of Praise. I don't remember. I don't think we mentioned it on the previous episodes, but uh fits right into that kind of post-punk groove that I appreciate, especially from these British bands. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you what, do. What was your impression, man? Could you... Were you getting down with this? Uh... Yeah, this was more focused than some of your post-punk faves that often have like a gazillion different... Uh, genres of sounds in them and they try to get too cute in my opinion it's too Mm -hmm. you know i I like this this is more straightforward you know what you're getting from the beginning and that continues to deliver uh they keep up the tempo and the pace throughout it's not too samey which is right. also an, an issue often with these types of albums. And each song has its own little personality, but it's consistent. And I, I, that kept me on track. There's this kind of music. I need consistency. I don't, I don't care how cute you can be by making, <laughs> you know, having, having some jazz or whatever in there. Right. Unless, unless you've, unless you can establish that you're forging new roads. You know, like the way that Mike Patton has done. Right. You know, it only works for certain artists and, and certain times. Do what you do really, do it really well and then go grow instead mm-hmm. of starting with, with too much. And this one is just right for my taste. Yeah, I think that's well said, man. They, uh, there feels like in a record where they, you know, really kind of like came into their own kind of discovery and their, their sound a little bit more. And they do keep things moving. This record is very well paced. Comes uh-huh. in at 41 minutes. Packs a lot of ideas sonically, but you said they all really sound like the band. They all fit together, but there's a lot of just little tweaks and changes to the pacing and the energy level as you go through the record. Yeah, you're right. It's not nearly as experimental as some other bands we talked about in the show recently. It's much more emphasis on the punk side of post-punk. So it's fast. It's pretty hard for the most part. But they did talk about some really interesting things, especially lyrically. The um, the vocalist, 
Charlie Steen. <laughs> Not to be confused with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to do that. <laughs> Unless there's some songs about tiger blood and winning. God, what an, what an old-ass reference that probably nobody knows what it is anymore, but it was a huge thing like a decade ago. Charlie Steen, the vocalist, really packs a lot of lyrics into this record. The, uh, the liner notes really read sort of like... Uh, Poetry at times, quite lengthy and in-depth. You could tell the band found some popularity from their first record and dealing with a little bit of that fatigue we see a lot of bands deal with who get popular really quickly. The opening track here, Alphabet, he's talking about don't forget your P's and Q's, please smile when we tell you to, kind of this drudgery of performing or getting up on stage every day and trying to make people happy. Wearing them down, man. We can relate to that, right? You just get worn out from being so much attention and accolades all the time. It's It can be a bit much, right? Um, no, not for me. So, <laughs> <Go down. laughs> well, you know, this actually, I was trying to think of the name of the band. I just, uh, uh, it finally came to me. Idols. This this reminds me a little bit of Idols Ultramano that we talked about somewhere yeah. at the end of last year. I liked that also. And I think this has some of the same flavors. That if, if you're a fan of Idols, I think you'd like this if you haven't heard of it before. But it yeah, definitely totally. has. Yeah, there's both of them have a sort of consistent. Yes, it does have a kind of some of the stuff that Joe Strummer and The Clash were doing. It has those kind of elements, which I think are really mm-hmm. effective when there's a pop sensibility mixed in with a with a punk edge, which is what this has as well. Yeah, they there are songs on here that really do sound a lot like the Clash, um, but then they'll shift pace halfway through and sound you know sound a little bit different. So it's it's definitely elements of those things you like about the British punk scene from over the last forty fifty years. Um, mm, wow, <laughs> it is about that. Crazy <laughs> yeah. to believe. Yeah, a really really strong record. I think it's probably maybe my f- my favorite in this genre to date for the year. So if you haven't heard this yet, I think it's definitely worth your time. Once again, the album is Drunk Tank Pink, The Artist of Shame. Check it out. Okay. You know what time it is. Oh, it's my favorite time of the week. Old Dogs. All right. It's time for Old Dogs, which are some of our favorite albums that are basically man's best friend. We just can't let them go. So let's start with Bob Dylan. Or Robert Allen Zimmerman. What is that his real name? Yes. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh my uh-huh. god! I did not know that. I've never heard anyone say that before. Yeah, Bobby yeah. Zimmerman. That's Bob. That's Bob Dylan. I guess Bobby Z. All right. Bobby Z. So this was right. uh, the 1976 album Desire, and we're going to play a song you probably heard, but you should hear it again and again and again. This is Hurricane. Okay, so that was a little bit of a hurricane from the 1976 
Robert Zimmerman album Desire. <laughs> and I wanted to play I wanted to play a piece of that that you know everyone knows the this is a story of the hurricane. You know? Yeah. But I wanted to get into some of those lyrics. This album is so so much storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed at Bob Dylan and his talent and ability to write that way. Like so descriptive, but it still like fits together as lyrics. Right. And you know, that that portion right there. So this that was the story of Reuben Carter, who uh was convicted of a triple murder in nineteen sixty six. He was a contender in the boxing world could have been champion of the world and this is detailing how he was railroaded racially profiled and um was not guilty of this and these are all the 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 bits i'm being pulled over for being black all the stuff that we're still talking about now all in here described in like vivid detail yeah Um, it kind of plays out almost like a like a movie like you can really yeah picture all these things happening (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's what this 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 album is a series of movies, uh, audio movies. Now, eventually, Hurricane was released and all that stuff. So justice was served, but it was like decades later, like twenty two years or something. Oh, so at the time this came out, that had not correct happened yet. Uh-huh. Right. So this was pretty controversial, I imagine, at the time. Yes. I've forgotten how deeply controversial that song was in its details. So I dug back into the record. I started loving it because of um, a friend of mine bought the album because of we're watching Dazed and Confused. And there's a scene early in the movie where Wooderson and, and Pink and Mitch are walking into the Emporium you know, where they, the pool tables and all that stuff. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. And <laughs> we were like, what is that song, right? So then my friend bought the album, we were listening to it, and then we got to listen to Isis, which is a cool song. Mozambique, which is a, got a cool groove, apparently. The song was written by him and uh, Emmy Lou Harris, who is on this album as the female vocalist. Quite a bit, yeah. It it started as a game on how many rhymes they could make with the sound eek. Is that true? I read that too. I, I was like, oh, wow, is that really there? I hope it's true. For doing the song. <laughs> I hope it's true. <laughs> What'd you think of this, man? I've been talking a lot. What were your thoughts? Had you heard this before? Um, I hadn't heard the record in its entirety. I'd heard a few of these songs before. Hurricane, obviously, but Isis was a really nice surprise. Another long story type song. Really interesting musically. I think I had heard another band cover this before, but really appreciated. I think like one of the things that really surprised me about this record, like just going into it knowing it's a Dylan record, the band like freaking cooks. Like yes. they're on fire for a lot of this record, especially the violinist. They sound great for a lot of this. They really add a lot of energy to the to the record. But there were a couple songs I didn't love, to be honest with you. Yeah. But as a whole I thought it was great. But there were some great moments, like uh, Sarah, the closing song. Mm-hmm. Wow, it goes out on a really heartfelt song. I've never really heard Dylan do anything so heartbreakingly sad and uh, as, that rec- as that song. I think Sarah was about his wife or his ex-wife. Yeah, I think they were still married at the time, but were getting towards the end of their relationship. And you could just tell how much he loves her and 
wants to be together, but he kind of realizes at the same time that it's probably not going to work out. And just yeah. to hear that, like, so plainly spoken, I thought was powerful, especially from Dylan. Really lays yeah. his heart out on that song. Well, this album was done during a time of intense creativity from him. This was during that Rolling Thunder review tour. They made a movie out of it and all this stuff, and he would wear like crazy makeup and and you know he had been the the folk guy in the 60s and then went country for a little while and then um then decided to go electric and got you know put together the band you know right you know the band the band who went on to to have their own stuff going on and they were all part of this rolling thunder review and emily harris was part of that well-known country artist and the, just, I think the col- the collaboration going on with all these talented artists on this tour together really drove him to another level in some of the, the breadth of these. Now, we can't go through every song and every detail because it would take forever. The out, like Joey is like a 12 minute song. Yeah. And really that's can. about, yeah. yeah, it's 12 verses about a gangster <laughs> named Joey Gallo. And it tells his story. Now, some have said that it glorifies this mobster instead of vilifies, but, but forget yeah. about that. Just the detail of everything that went on in this man's life. Like, but it's not dry and boring. It, you're drawn through these songs and these stories. And, uh, it's just an incredible album. I, I can't say more about it. It's my favorite Bob Dylan album. I mean, I love a, a lot of his. This was his 17th. I believe, of 39, wow. which is what he's up to now. Wow. So have I, to be fair, have I listened to all 39 of them recently? No, but this is one that I've loved for de- for a couple of you know decades now, and uh, it has definitely prompted me to go dig in some more to some of his classic albums because this is awesome. And if you haven't heard it before, you got to. You got to. Yeah. Uh, even if you're one of those people that's like, Bob Dylan, I don't, he can't sing. Forget about it. Listen to the album. <laughs> it's a great showcase of his storytelling and also kind of like the different sides of him. Like the music, yeah. Lots of different types of music going on here. Mm-hmm. But in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, totally. There's <laughs> good variety. Uh, keeps things fresh. There's like, uh, you know, the folk sound, but it's like gypsy kind of sounding music. There's like that yeah. one Spanish song. There's but things. it's... It's never abandoned though. His the Bob Dylan folk roots are are yeah, are the roots there. of of all of this, and that's how why it holds together and why the different styles can come in and accent the stories. That's what it's there for to help tell the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, they always fit together with the lyrical content. It sounds very intentional. It doesn't just sound like a hodgepodge by any means. So why don't we, as I sip my delicious coffee, why don't we listen to one more cup of coffee and uh, close this out. So I think that really kind of sums up the the flavors here. You've got all these uh, violins and 
instrumental flourishes and then Bob Dylan's voice mixed in with Emmy Lou Harris throughout the album. Uh, mm-hmm. Just beautiful. And that's about all you can say. It's a great album, great songs. It'll keep you entertained and you'll want to listen to it a second time. Yeah, man. It was a, it was a cool listening experience. I'm glad I could really dig into it a little bit closer. It makes me curious to think of gets into some more stuff that he did in this part of his career because I'm much more familiar with his more folky roots. And this mm-hmm. is cool to hear him with the bigger band. Down before this, Blood on the Tracks is one of his most revered as well. So maybe uh, check that one out and go from there. Heard. All right, man. Good pick. Thank you. That was Robert Zimmerman, otherwise known as Bob Dylan. Go check out Desire. All right. So for our last selection on today's show, yeah. talking about Mastodon and their 2006 album, Blood Mountain. This is their third full length and their major label debut for the four-person outfit from Atlanta, Georgia. It's a bit of a concept record which long-time listeners of the show will know are the album nerds' favorites. So we're going to dig into the lore in a minute. Mastodon's favorite, too. They love the concept album. Yeah, they do. It fits the genre perfectly. But yeah, before we get into all those stories and the background of the record, let's talk about, or let's hear a snippet of Circle of the Sisquatch. turn it down <laughs> please listen to the rest of the record right now please <laughs> let's just that's what we'll do we'll just the show will just be listening to this album <laughs> we'll do that reaction stuff people do on youtube right like oh my god can you believe they did that <laughs> i can i've heard it a thousand times all right so <laughs> blood mountain it's actually named after a real mountain in georgia i just learned that recently i didn't realize that was a actual place but you could go you could go hike blood mountain yourself kids maybe we should do that as a album nerds uh getaway we could have like a retreat yes on the top of blood mountain right. there, 2022 yes our our cult-like following that's right we'll see you there <laughs> <laughs> all right so this record saw mastodon take a big step forward in their sounds um the previous record leviathan which we talked about in the show at some point one of my favorite records of all time. This record saw them shift from that more like death metal-y, traditional metal sound to more of a progressive metal take on the genre. Uh, a lot more noodling guitar-wise. I and clean, cleaner singing. I mean, not yes. throughout, the, not every bit of it, but certainly more clean singing. And this was the first Mastodon album I ever heard. Oh, thanks this was to, introduction. Thanks to mm. young Andy who I worked with at the time. I was like, hey, I think you might like this. And I did. And I purchased it shortly thereafter. So thank you, Andy. I remember when this record came out. Yeah, it was pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, so this record has part of that clean singing is thanks to Brent Hines, who does a lot of the vocals on this record. And he had not done a whole lot previous to that. 
he would go on to do a lot of the vocals on Mastodon's future records. Very Ozzy-esque, I would say. Yes, yes, totally. Definitely could hear that. Kind of that whininess to his voice, I guess you uh-huh. could say. Yeah, it's got that, that, I mean, he could, if they did some old Black Sabbath songs, I yeah, think it would sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he could pull it off, for sure. Uh, so it's a very ambitious record. It's a long record, it's over 50 minutes covers a lot of material. Each song is just bursting with ideas and, as I said, a lot of noodling. Uh, so there's also a story, which I think is actually a pretty interesting story. So what do you think, man? Should we dig into some of the intricacies of of the trek up Blood Mountain? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. I won't try to go into every single detail because there's lots of twists and turns. But, but basically, the story is we have a hero who is charged with finding this crystal skull at the base of Blood Mountain. Oh, there we go. The dude just got his copy of the vinyl out to be super nerdy about things. (laughs) I'm reading along. (laughs) So the the hero's journey starts reluctantly. Uh, A little bit of a twist about this hero. He also happens to be a werewolf. So he's dealing with that, this kind of like uncontrollable dark side to his nature that he just shapeshifts into this character. Team Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) He just took all our credibility right out the window, man. (laughs) Hey, Twilight references. Come on, man. (laughs) People love that stuff. Not not people who like Mastodon, bro. Come on. All right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so he's at the base of Blood Mountain. He's turned into a werewolf. He's looking for this crystal skull, and he finds it pretty early on on track two, Crystal Skull. He finds it, but it starts to drive him insane. As he picks it up, he can feel the power. It's starting to affect his mind, though, and he continues on through Sleeping Giant and Capillarian Crest into these winding ravine area, kind of also in the, the base of the Blood Mountain. He gains some powers from these waters and it gets carried out into like a sea or like an ocean or some larger body of water. Continues his trek up the mountains, camping out one night and notices that his campsite is surrounded by all these single eyes in the darkness moving. And that is the circle of the Sasquatch. And that is not just a Sasquatch, but it's a one-eyed Sasquatch. You can imagine such a terrifying thing. He's fighting the, the one-eyed Sasquatches. He has this crazy fight with them in Blade Catcher, which is a really interesting instrumental track. It's short and sweet, but it has some amazing effects and just crazy prog guitar riffage. Then he has a couple more epic battles with the Colony of Birchmen, which are like this, this race of like tree people, kind of like the Ents from uh, Lord of the Rings, if you remember. Also, some flying creatures attack him. And he finds this rose, which he eats a petal from, which sends him into this hallucinatic dream, which is what happens on the track Mortal Soil, which I believe, yeah, we're actually going to play a cut from that. So why don't we take a short break from the storytelling and play a small snippet of this Mortal Soil. Yeah, I feel like uh, you're the grandpa and I'm the little kid in Princess Bride. Get around, kids. Let me tell you the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
So in in this dream state, hallucinogenic dream state, he meets this woman who tells him that if he's successful in bringing the crystal skull to the top of Blood Mountain, the world will end. So he has this another internal conflict to grapple with. Not only is he a werewolf and he's going crazy by the skull, but now he has to decide if meeting his goal is worth the destruction of the world. Fortunately, he gets buried by a avalanche in Siberian Divide. He's close to death, but he's also close to the top of the mountain. And then on the penultimate track, Pendulous Skin, the hero places the skull on the pedestal, which is actually on the album art, man. I never realized this before. The album art has like this creature. It's like a wolf and like a elk. And if you look at his hands, he has like a shelf there in the bottom of his hands. That is where the crystal skull goes at the top of Blood Mountain. And with that, he dies and we assume the world comes to an end. But I would say in the last song, there's a bit of hope, a bit of a sense of peace, at least washes over the world. <laughs> Even in as you wish yeah you're a fanboy <laughs> when it comes to this stuff <laughs> I love this record <laughs> you know it came with one of those like cool DVD extras when I bought this on physical CD like <laughs> 20 years ago so I sat down with it many times and dug through all the interviews and then they break down each song and the story and stuff so yeah I've got the I don't have the CD version so I never saw that part but uh, so uh, what I think is on the last show we talked a little bit about sometimes our music fans tendencies to praise certain things in albums that they love and criticize the same in albums that they don't now many times <laughs> sure you have talked about how you do not like the uh, swords and sorcery you know sort of stuff of metal of traditional old 80s <laughs> late 70s early 80s metal and yeah, this has true. a lot of fanciful stuff in it my man it does it does I think... But it's about it being done right for you, right? This feels very real to me. Like, this feels like this guy's account of this happening and not some, like, third person's, like, historical telling, you know? In the way that, like, Lord of the Rings sounds like some third person account of this fantastical land that's happening, you know, in some alternate dimension, where this feels like this dude is, like, just out there in the woods by himself, pulling himself up this mountain and... More than the way that like Moby Dick from their previous record feels like yes. this in-person account of something that happened. I just think what it goes to show is that there's any trope in any kind of music can be done <laughs> right and done well, and it can also be done in a eye-rolly way. And dismissing a particular like you know uh, sound or type of thing is not the best thing to do to leave yourself open to experience great music because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't here it does no, that's a really good point man what did you think of the of the story and like this whole mythos that they built around this record is it does it work for you or is it not important it does but it wasn't front and center for me this was my first introduction to them so for me it was it rocked really hard and i missed metallica putting out a lot of albums you know i, I wanted a, a, yeah. a, a heavy metal band that was heavy as hell and sounded good and they did that so did i catch some bits and pieces while reading through yes did i know did i follow the story or have that improve the experience uh a little yeah that's a great album it rocks hard 
there's substance to it. You know, there's thought into it. There's loving care in every guitar sound, in every word, and in the story that they try and tell throughout. So you got to listen to it. You got to check it out with New Year's. If you didn't know all those details, if you'd heard it before and never gave it much thought, you can either listen to the album or listen to Andy tell the whole story here on the Album News <laughs> Podcast. I think it's much more compelling on the record. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, so, yeah, if, if by chance you have not heard this record, well, you should definitely go back and listen to it. If you're a fan of prog rock or even just metal in general, I think they're one of the best bands doing it and doing it well. All right, but that is going to be it for us today. Those are our four records. What do you think of these records? Love to hear your thoughts. You can email us podcast at eldenrose.com. Or leave us a voicemail, uh, 585-210-2454. Love to hear from you. Yes, so subscribe to and download the show in all the usual places. If you'd like to do us a big favor, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Album Nerds. And don't forget we throw these songs onto a Spotify playlist. You just need to find Album Nerds on Spotify and the episode number. This one is 125. You can also, if you if you love the Album Nerds, you know, this thing costs us a little bit of money to do. Help us out if you feel like it. Support the show with a PayPal donation, albumnerds.com slash support. Word up. We'll be back in about two weeks' time with another four-pack of records for you. Uh, until then... Happy listening and uh, be well. Thanks for listening.